The Film Guide with Chris and Sam, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Hello and welcome to the St Albans Film Guide. Here I am, producer Sam, and with me this week, Chris Aikman. Hi, Chris. Hello, Sam. Thank you for having me. No worries. Uh, Here we are on a very scary Friday, the 13th of August. Yes. Nothing hugely scary at the cinemas this week. That is a shame. That is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you get an October with a 13th in it as well, a Friday the 13th, then that's, I'm sure movie studios have got that circled years in advance. Fighting for that spot. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, no, this week there's quite a busy selection at the uh, at the cinemas. Films are now really starting to come back week on week. Uh, so there are four films uh, at the cinemas we're going to discuss. Uh, the first one being The Courier, which is uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's latest film. Okay, so he's looking at uh, zero-hour contract delivery driving for large corporations owned by billionaires, I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, in a way, I suppose it's a it's a spy thriller uh, okay. set during the Cold War, uh, in which <laughs> a British businessman, uh, so based on a true story, a British businessman uh, Greville Wynne, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, is recruited uh, by the British government to yes act as a courier to uh, a Soviet agent, it has to keep going back and forth between uh, the Soviet Union and the UK, delivering secrets. Well, I would hope that he gets danger money, which I'm assuming our key workers have not been getting uh, these past 18 months. Probably not. Mm. I don't know what the going rate was for a for a spy in the Cold War, but I'm sure the information is there somewhere how much they were paid. But yes, so that's, the, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch in a period piece, very different to another film that's released today, uh, which is Free Guy. This is uh, Ryan Reynolds' latest film. Okay. And it's... It's a video game movie in a way, in that it's Guy, played by Ryan Reynolds, is a background character, an NPC, a non-player character in a uh, violent video game, um, similar to that of Grand Theft Auto or not, who realises that he is a background character in this video game. And But then the developer, played by Taika Waititi, uh, director of uh, Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, he threatens to switch off the game for good. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, Wolf Guy, must uh, become the hero. Well, he's used to being the uh, just the cannon fodder in the background. It also stars Jodie Comer from Killing Eve, who once smiled at me, and uh, Joe Keery from <laughs> Stranger story. Things. What a story! What a story! And he just breezed past it. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm a man of mystery, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true, listener. Uh, Jodie Comer, Golden Globe and Emmy Award winner uh, from Killing Eve, smiled at me. So wow. And it felt like a genuine smile as well, not just like a, please get out of my way. Um, <laughs> mainly because I wasn't in her way. So Yeah, so you can rule that one out. Yeah. So, yes, that is Free Guy. Then we've got uh, another change of direction, back to period piece again. We've got Minimata, which is set in 1971. Again, true story of the photojournalist W. Eugene Smith, played by Johnny Depp. And he was a big photojournalist star. That's weird to say star. Can you be a photojournalism star? I don't see why not. I mean, you can be a rock star, a football star, a scientist star. Like, why not a photo, whatever you said, star? star. 
journalist. Um, anyway, he's a very widely respected and revered photojournalist from World hmm. War Two. But by the seventies, he'd become a bit of a recluse and you know disconnected from from society and friends and family. Um, but then he he sort of brought back into doing something important with his uh, skills um, and following. The Minamata disease, which is a disease that affected a lot of people in Asia in the 70s. Uh, it also stars Hiroyuki Sanada, great Japanese actor Hiroyuki Sanada. And yeah, so that's an hour and 55 minutes long. And then finally, what we've all been waiting for is Paw Patrol, the movie. Wow, this has been on my list, Chris, for all of three seconds, but I'm excited. Well, especially as you know, it stars uh, Kim Kardashian as uh, one of the voices. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh-huh. Paw Patrol, obviously, um, we we are childless, so Paw Patrol does not play a Any big role. part in my life. Yeah, I know of it. Uh, that's yes. about as far as it goes. It's a it's an animated show about dogs, and but to some people, uh, people with uh, children of a certain age, uh, Paw Patrol will have taken over their lives, and so finally, it's coming to the big screen. So. Uh, I'll just read a little blurb. The Paw Patrol is on a roll when their biggest rival, Humdinger, becomes mayor of nearby Adventure City and starts wreaking havoc. Ryder and everyone's favourite heroic pups kick into high gear to face the challenge head on. So Okay, so this is an exciting uh, tear down the uh, establishment type situation. Exactly. Okay, exactly. brilliant. Sees back the means of production sort of thing. Yeah, your kids will all be socialists by the end of it. So, Paw Patrol, uh, not really aimed at us, but uh, summer holidays are in full swing, and uh, I'm sure there'll be many families heading to the cinema to see this. Well, one movie that is actually more aimed towards us, and uh, that we have seen at the cinema, because we're young and exciting, is James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Very different to um, David Ayer's Suicide Squad, which came out uh, five years ago and was terrible. It it got terrible reviews. It was a bit of a editing mess. It was the in production hell, and it was sort of everyone thought, "Oh, it's another DC movie mess, basically." Yeah, because yeah. they've not had the same success as uh, Marvel have had, obviously. Maybe they but should James have Gunn, characters. Well, so basically the story is James Gunn was initially, just going back away, initially he did Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 for Marvel. He was going to do uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And then a bunch of old tweets that he'd done years ago, about 10 years beforehand, where he made some terrible jokes, off-colour jokes, came up. Uh, they resurfaced thanks to... The internet. <laughs> thanks to the internet, but specifically thanks to right-wing pundits and you know whatnot in America, because James Gunn's quite a sort of outspoken lefty, as it were, they tried to get him cancelled, basically, even though quite you know he'd actually already acknowledged these at some point in the past and apologised for them. They came up again, Marvel panicked, they fired him from Guardians of the Galaxy 3. He has since come back to Guardians of the Galaxy 3, that he is now in charge of writing and directing that, partly because there was... A lot of unrest from the cast. Dave Bautista especially said basically, well, if James Gunn's not doing it, I'm not doing it. But in that meantime, DC jumped in there and was like, here you go. We'd like you to do the Suicide Squad. So uh, he he asked for free reign uh, to sort of write and direct how he wanted. And part of the, obviously the, the gimmick, well, not gimmick, but part of how the Suicide Squad is is presented is that they are these are all bad guys who are sent to do dangerous missions and they tend to die 
these are very dangerous missions and these are bad you know villainous characters and they die and that's sort of part of it is you don't know who's who's going to survive and basically what i can say i will keep it keep it brief because you know this is already talked about um in the past before it came out but it's a vast improvement on the first one it's kind of almost a reboot although there are there are a few holdovers from that film. So uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn was in that. Rick Flagg, the character Rick Flagg. Amanda Waller, who's the sort of head of Suicide Squad. And Captain Boomerang were all members of the, in the original Suicide Squad. Uh, they appear along with a whole lot of new characters, including Idris Elba playing Bloodsport, Peacemaker, who's played by John Cena, and Ratcatcher 2, played by Daniela Melchior. And... I, you know, it. I, my personal view is it's so much better than the first one, and quite an enjoyable movie. Not all the jokes sort of landed for me, and the way it was structured, I think, threw off the pacing a little bit. But I liked a lot of the character work between the characters, and they they gave them quite a lot more depth as people and villains than you sort of uh, you might get otherwise get. Especially, I was really impressed by Daniela Melchior as Ratcatcher 2, because she's the heart of the, the film in a way. Yeah, I think you're not going to have anyone else as Harley Quinn now, really, are you? Because Margot Robbie's been doing that while she was in Birds of Prey as well, of course. Yes. Much more centred on her character and other like female characters within that universe. So to recast her uh, would be ridiculous, yeah, I, I think. I think, yeah, Margot Robbie has... Uh, she yeah she is harley quinn now yeah and yeah i think like you say i think the pacing was thrown a little bit by the structure but otherwise an entertaining comic book movie uh for sure yeah. i think yeah I, I think i'd like to see it again um at some point when it comes out on dvd or, or what have you and see how i feel of it when you know now that my expectations were i think my expectations were very high because yes. it's James Gunn, and I really enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy one and two, and as well as some of his earlier work, because he his a lot of his early stuff is based in very violent, often quite sort of grotesque comedies, which this is more veered towards. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy films have absurdist humor and whatnot, but they're not particularly violent or anything. Whereas this is this is very violent. Yeah, there's debate as to whether it should have been an eighteen, right? Um, yeah, because it is a 15, and the violence probably should be an 18, but it's it's one of these weird things that you get with the certification, where because the violence is... Comic book? It's comic book. It's played for last. It's over the top. It's, yeah. It's not... It's not lingering. It's not... No. Although there are quite a, there are, Actually, there are a few... <laughs> there are a few pretty brutal bits in it, but for 90% of the violence, it's kind of played for laughs and it's um just over the top and stupid but so that's that's why it gets a 15 obviously they what they they try not to to have it rated 18 because that massively lessens the amount of people that can yeah can see it but yes i i, I would recommend generally yeah if, if you're sort of into comic book movies and have a few couple of spare hours of an afternoon or evening yeah i think it's worth a watch Here we are, part two, new to streaming, Chris. What have we got? So we've only got one film this week. Um, obviously, there are, there are films going up on the streaming all the time, but um, in terms of like bigger releases, 
on Netflix, uh, coming out today, uh, you'll find the film Beckett. Um, and it's about a man called Beckett, uh, played by John David Washington, who you might know from uh, Tenet and Black Klansman. Uh, he is also Denzel Washington's son. He is a man, uh, an American tourist vacationing in Greece, and a horrible accident happens, and he then becomes the target of a manhunt, and he's forced to basically go on the run, uh, and he's trying to reach the U.S. Embassy in Athens in an attempt to, to clear his name. And he's being chased by the police, he's being chased by other bad guys, and there's this whole crazy conspiracy going on around him. And, I mean, look, it looks pretty, it looks pretty fun, nice chase movie, a bit of a thriller. And John David Washington is, I think he's an actor that, that, you know, he's getting bigger and bigger and sort of more, more famous. I know you have no idea who he is, despite having seen Tenet. Uh, yeah. He's the main character in Tenet. Okay. Well, I do recall him now. It just takes <laughs> me a little while. That's all. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's quite all right. Um, but yes, that is on Netflix as we speak. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Fabulous. Part three is here. Chris, where to next? Well, yes, where to next? Uh, this is where we um, go around the world seeking... Uh, international cinema uh, films not in the English language. Uh, last month, um, we said that we would be uh, going to France and seeing uh, Lajli's uh, Les Misérables. Uh, you have to say it like that. Uh, that was, was beautiful, beautiful. Dead Chris. on. And this isn't Les Mis, as in you know, um, French Storming Revolution. French Revolution. No, uh, this is uh, from 2019, and it's set. In, it's set in a suburb of Paris called Montfermeil, which is it, the link to Les Misérables is is Victor Hugo wrote part of Les Misérables in Montfermeil, uh, and also part of the story, the uh, Thénardier's Inn, is set in Montfermeil. Uh, so it's it's kind of famous in France as being a part of the setting of, of Les Miserables. Uh, and also there is sort of thematic resonance between the two links between the two films uh, or, or the two stories. Uh, so it's about tensions between police slash the army, the, the ruling sort of parties, as it were, and, and poorer locals. And it's in the aftermath of France's 2018 World Cup win. So the actual the opening scene is these kids um, from Montfamille leaving their um, blocks of flats going into the centre of Paris. Montfermeil is about 10 miles um, outside of the centre of Paris, uh, so it's a suburb of it. And they're going to watch the final on TV outside of these bars and then celebrating with French fans, which I, I didn't look up, but I'm assuming was all actual... That was real. They It looked very much like they'd taken the actors and a bunch of cameras into the centre of Paris and just filmed real French people 
And it's kind of, I thought about this as well, it's kind of lucky that they won because like part of the story is all like, oh, you know, France have won and like there's all this sort of goodwill um, in a way. Yeah. People that, wearing French shirts and things. I, that would be interesting to find out then if, yeah, whether, were they sort of post-production photoshopped into these crowds were were they filmed were the, were the wider shots of crowds like real but then maybe they had closer shots with extras like it, cut it, in potentially it looked to me like they'd just taken the actors to the actual i think they probably just took advantage of mm. what was happening maybe they'd started the production or like you say they might have finished the production and yet it just sort of like coincidentally the opportunity presented itself sure but anyway it's it, the story, we should talk about the actual story. Basically, it's about um, a police officer called Stéphane, played by Demian Bonnard. He has moved from Cherbourg. Uh, he's a he's a police officer from Cherbourg. Uh, he's moved to Paris to be close to his son. And he is partnered um, with two police officers, uh, Chris and Guada, uh, played by Alexis Menetti and Gabriel Zonga. And he is shown the ropes, basically, by these these two on his first day. He's taken around taken around the suburb, introduced to all these various different characters, people like the mayor, who's this sort of, like, he's not really a mayor, but he's the one in charge of, like, the market area, and people respect him, and he, he sort of um, has his fingers in many pies. Uh, Salah, who is a seemingly sort of ex-Islamic extremist who now runs this kebab shop uh and these are all the people that the the police are sort of have contact with uh as well as these children in this um uh, area including isa uh played by isa perica and buzz who likes to fly drones around and um spy on people basically and chris especially the police officer is the lead police officer is he he's kind of drunk on power he's got this you know, he likes to intimidate people. He likes to, yeah, abuse his power in ways such as sort of very early on creepily harassing several young women. Yeah, they're just um, waiting for a bus. Uh, he sees them waiting for a bus and tells Guada to turn around so they can go pat them down. Yeah, and he, he, like, he can pat uh, them down because because they've been smoking or at least it, like smoking drugs, that gives him just enough reason to... I mean, even then, he doesn't really... He's not a character that needs a reason. No. But this is obviously, we're seeing this all through the um, point of view of, of Stefan, who's coming up this new, and he's clearly uncomfortable with what's happening. But basically, as Chris abuses his power and things uh, and continues to do so, tensions start to boil up. There's, there's a, a theft within the community. Uh, a lion cub is stolen from a local uh, circus run by a group of gypsies who come in running this uh, circus, uh, and tensions start to boil. Uh, and it eventually builds up to um, a head, really. And there's this sort of an act of violence in the middle. Um, I won't say what, but then, yes, tensions spill over. And it's about the sort of cycle of poverty and criminality that, that like the how, you know can the police treat the people in these areas who are largely uh, ethnic minorities are largely black uh, largely muslim uh, you know from from africa and they're treated as criminals even when they're not doing anything criminal yeah so then criminal stuff happens and is it because because they were treated as such, they act as such, or you know, are they actually criminals? Like these children, do they? Yeah, you know, what what, are the, what does the future hold for these kids that sort of grow up in here? And this is part of it is that largely the the director, who also he co-wrote it, along with uh, Alexis Minetti, who plays Chris, who is who is very good. 
he's kind of like a dead-eyed sociopath. He's he's not like he's not sort of angry, but he's like bullying. He's sort of like cold behind the eyes. Yeah, and it's just sort of what he has this bit of power that he abuses. Um, but largely grew up in in that area. Uh, this is this is where um, he grew up, and it's actually based on some uh, something that he actually witnessed and filmed himself when he was uh, younger, in like two thousand eight, I think. So it's well, I, I, I've spoken a lot. I've I've hogged the the conversation, <laughs> Sam. Uh, is there anything you want to say about it? Well, I mean that that sounds really similar to to Mar that I spoke about a couple of weeks back. Uh, I was where... not expecting you to make that make that link. But. No, I mean um, that the the writer um, used a lot of his own experience in uh, the yes. in the in the story of Ma, and so what you're saying is that this either a single event or multiple events within this person's uh, childhood and uh, while they were growing up was was used as inspiration for this movie. So yeah, I hadn't realised that was uh, very interesting. No, I, I I did enjoy it. Obviously, yeah, it's 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 a sort of hard-hitting topic of of poverty and and anger and pain and frustration because you're frustrated with chris and his behavior throughout the whole thing Um, but i thought the tensions between the different groups of people were played really well Mm. and you sort of don't know you know you're you're not sure exactly what's going to happen one moment from the next which yeah really keeps you on the edge of your seat it's so although we've said something like about Chris being sort of kind of a dead-eyed sociopath, he none of the characters are. I think it gives them a nice complexity to everyone. Yeah, none of them are. There's no one that's truly good, and there's no one that's truly evil. Yeah, everyone is making decisions almost in the heat of the moment to suit a survive. It's a survivability scenario yeah. in some cases. And even like the kids, the kids across the board are excellent uh, all the young actors especially Issa Parika is and Al Hassan Lee who played Buzz is Laj Lee's son and it's yeah so that I mean they're children but they're like they're like bored kids who are like you know killing time so they're not like angelic angels or anything no but at the same time they're not deserving of anything that sort of really happens around them no and it's just I thought as well because it had a budget of about two and a half million dollars which for yeah, movies nowadays is absolute pennies. Nothing, yeah. And it, it looks great. And the cinematography is beautiful. They use a lot of, because of the character Buzz, who loves, likes flying drones, there's a lot of drone shots. And you sort of get the feeling that this is, it's from Buzz's point of view. Yeah. Like, he's always scouring the city. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was it was nominated for Best International Film at the Oscars, which is what um, was previously called Best... Uh, foreign language film and uh it didn't win and it but it, it was also nominated for 11 awards at the caesar awards which is the the french equivalent to the oscars basically uh, mm-hmm. and won four including best picture this is also largely's first first feature-length film and admittedly in this year that they won the caesar awards it uh beat out portrait of a lady on fire which <gasps> um, Chris, yeah i know you must have a conflicting uh i know now I, I think we've spoken about it before on the um, when we've we've previously taken over the the film guide. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is an almost perfect movie and one of my favourite movies I think I've ever seen. And for this to to beat it, I know like I know awards aren't the be all and end all sort of thing. Uh, a lot of the time it's you know politics or whatever. But 
I mean, Portrait of the Lady on Fire should win all awards. Because <laughs> um, the other big film that year was the adaptation of Robert Harris's An Officer and a Spy, which was directed by Roman Polanski, which oh, no. caused quite a lot of controversy at the uh, Caesar Awards uh-huh. uh, that year. And in fact, no members of the cast or crew of uh, An Officer and a Spy uh, actually attended the awards that year. It sort of bums me out because I really love that book. I love Robert Harris. He's a great author. And I would love to see that movie, but probably won't now. And it's interesting that because it's set in France, it's about the Dreyfus Affair, which is a true part in um, French history. And it's a really interesting part of French history. And it's, although British author, they um, remade, they made it in France, ad- adapted it in France, which is, oh, that's really good. But Roman Polanski of all people. So mm. yeah, I was wondering actually um, when you were talking about the Courier earlier whether that was a Robert Harris because that sounded like the kind of thing he'd write about. It does sound like the sort of thing he'd write about. No, is it not? Uh, is it not, not one of his? Okay. But yeah, so that is uh, Les Miserables. It's still available on Netflix um, and would recommend. I assume you would too. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Uh, so next month, I've got where to are we tell headed? You where are we? Where headed? we're heading? So we've done. We did Spirited Away, so we've been over in Asia. We've come closer to home and gone to France. Uh, now we're going to go south a bit, and we're heading to Africa, specifically Senegal. Uh, and we're going to uh, be watching Atlantics, or in its uh, original French, Atlantique. And Ooh, it <laughs> so different. Is, I know. Um, it is, oh yes, on Netflix. It's an international co-production, but it's set in Senegal and largely in French. And so we're going to be watching that. If you want to watch it and have any input, you know, give me any ideas of where you enjoyed it or or didn't, or for whatever reason, uh, then please email uh, chris at stalbanspodcast.com. That's chris at stalbanspodcast.com. Alternatively, uh, sam at stalbanspodcast.com will also get to us. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're heading to Africa. Finally. But not least. No, wait. <laughs> That's not right. Last but not you, least. You sound you sounded really finally. Oh, we're here. <laughs> no, no. Not long now. No, no, no. Part four. Films on free-to-air television. Chris, what are your picks of the week? We're starting with a movie that's on tonight, Friday the 13th of August at 10.35pm on BBC One. Yes, we have Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, this is uh, a very sweet um, comedy drama um, from way back in 2019. And it stars Zach Gotsigan. I'm sorry, Zach, if I have uh, pronounced your name uh, incorrectly. Um, Zach Gotsigan, who plays Zach, uh, who's a, a young man with uh, Down syndrome, and he lives in a, a state-run care facility, but he dreams of being a professional wrestler. Uh, so he manages to escape from his facility and comes uh, basically runs into Tyler, played by Shia LaBeouf, uh, who's a young man who is in a lot of trouble with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of on the run himself. And they they basically become fast friends and Tyler um says he you know he'll take Zach to meet his hero, uh, the wrestler the Saltwater Redneck and uh help him sort of pursue his his wrestling career. And meanwhile, uh, Eleanor played by Dakota Johnson 
is is on Zach's tail trying to get him back. She works at the care facility, and it's a a very a very sweet, very funny movie with great a great performance from Zach Gossigan, uh, who is just perfect in the role. Yeah. Um, I I think we've definitely talked about this previously, Chris, about feel good movies. Mm. But I think you could attribute this truly. Yes. Um, you know, of course, there's drama and such within within the arc of the story, but overall, I think it's a feel good feel good movie for sure. Yeah, it's about sort of you know accepting people for who they are and and you know helping each um, other out, helping each other out, but also not being just sort of you know letting people be themselves and and not not making judgments on people based on on what they look like or how they act. Um, but yes, very sweet movie. Peanut to Butter Falcon on BBC One at 10.35 tonight. Moving on to Saturday, uh, we have at 6.35pm on Film 4, Star Trek. This is Star Trek, uh, the one, the sort of reboot uh, by J.J. Abrams, the first in um, the new the newer trilogy. This is a film that when I saw it at the cinema, when it came out, I just thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. It's got uh, Chris Pine as James Tiberius Kirk uh, and Zachary Quinto as Spock and right at the start of their careers and the start of their professional lives together and it's just a rollicking good time <laughs> I think there was a okay sorry it's not in ways but you just say but I, I liked it I, yeah because I sounded about 90 years old when I said it <laughs> it's I know there were there were sort of I don't consider myself a massive Star Trek fan, but I do like Star Trek, and I've watched quite a bit of Next Generation and and bits of other things uh, here and there. So I'm I'm not a Trekker or anything. But so I know there was when it first came out, there was a bit of pushback from true Star Trek fans because it was too like action orientated. Uh, whereas actually, a lot of Star Trek, ninety five percent of Star Trek the TV series is about working things out politically and diplomatically or with a bit of cunning mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a lot of shooting and stuff blowing up but it's it's a good fun you know an action adventure movie okay well yeah i guess if you you maybe want to start somewhere on your journey to frontiers beyond what's the yeah <laughs> the final frontier. now that you've said that in fact, yeah now that you've said that <laughs> you you got it so wrong that i forgot what the thing was and i couldn't correct you <laughs> I, I aim to uh, confuse and disorientate. <laughs> <laughs> you do it so well. Moving on to Sunday, the 15th of August, on Film 4 at 11.10pm, we have the movie Spy. Yes, I, we do. I assume this is uh, the sort of moving on through the franchise once the kids have grown up. Spy kids? No? No? Now they're just spies? No? Okay. Melissa McCarthy is Susan Cooper, who's a uh, she works for the CIA and she's but she's deskbound. She's um, she assists remotely assists her uh, field partner, played by uh, Jude Law, uh, until she needs to be thrown into into the open, basically, and go undercover herself to stop uh, the evil uh, Rose Byrne. And I mean, it's Melissa McCarthy doing Melissa McCarthy stuff, uh, which is um, generally very funny. It also is helped by... I mean, Rose Byrne is also great. Um, and it's got Alison Janney as well, who's uh, who's always fun. Well, you've sold it to me now. Um, but the MVP, quite possibly, of this film is Jason Statham, who plays... Of course, he plays a spy, a hard-as-nail spy, but a lot of it is very much a send-up of 
Jason Statham's persona in most other films. And he's always going on about how great he is, basically. And it's very funny, and Jason Statham is very funny. Well worth a watch at... Well, if you want to stay up on a Sunday night at 10 past 11, then you can do, but I, you know... Set your VCRs <laughs> for that time. <laughs> do you remember VCRs? Yeah, very vividly. Um, <laughs> Are you having flashbacks now? Yeah. I'm sure like a lot of streaming services like Catch Up, All 4 and iPlayer often have the movies for a, a short amount of time um depending on their the rights and things so it's possible it'll yeah. be on it'll be on all four or something like that as well yeah on to tuesday the 17th of august also on film four at 9 p.m we have arrival arrival is you know what i'm still i know it came out like five years ago it's 2016 i'm still waiting for amy adams to get her oscar nomination oh my gosh it is a fact... chef's kiss of a movie and performance Basically, aliens uh, aliens come to Earth and they they their ships come down out of the sky and hover above the Earth in lots of different places around the world. So there's one in America, uh, one in China, there's several in Africa or across Europe, places like that. And they start communicating with humanity. And Amy Adams' character is a linguistics professor, uh, Louise Banks. She's a linguistics professor, and she's picked, along with Jeremy Renner, uh, his character is a mathematician, and a, a bunch of other experts to basically try and work out how to communicate with these aliens. And they start sort of talking with them, and, and tensions sort of build as, as different countries deal with them in different ways, and, and politics gets involved. And But Amy Adams, for some reason, did not, and um, we talked about this earlier in terms of awards. Awards are, you know, obviously largely meaningless. However, the fact she didn't okay, even get nominated. Say, I'm sorry, you wouldn't say that if you had an Oscar on your shelf. I, yeah, probably not. But I'm never <laughs> going to win that. So I can say largely meaningless. Um, the fact that if I'm, I want to look up who got a nomination ahead of her. Uh, the winner that year was Emma Stone for La La Land. Also nominated was Isabel Huppert from Elle, uh, Ruth Negger uh, from Loving, uh, Natalie Portman for Jackie, and Meryl Streep uh, for Florence Foster Jenkins. I can guarantee none of those are as good as Amy Adams, who no. is no. her performance. They're not. They're I, just 100% want, not. We don't want to, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in the film that we don't want to get into to spoil it if, you, if you're going to watch it. But her performance is so multi-layered mm -hmm. it requires multiple viewings just to see exactly what she's doing exactly and when like it's just it's but it's one of those that you will you will want to go back and rewatch it yes once you've seen it and you see the conclusion and everything you'll be like whoa okay i need to go back and now that i know this thing see what i missed the first time or the yeah. second time or the third time that you watch it because, yeah. And it's, it's also, it's just, it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful looking film uh, directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve, whose um, adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune is coming out uh, later this year. So uh, he also did um, Blade Runner 2049, okay. uh, which is another very beautiful film. A sci-fi uh, expert here. He, he, he's a bit of a sci-fi expert, yeah. Fantastic. So moving on to Wednesday, the 18th of August on Five Star at 9pm, we have Pretty Woman. Now, Sam, this is a film that I have never seen, but I know you have. and I have multiple times. Yes. Uh, sell it to me. 
Okay, well... <laughs> like someone might sell me Julia Roberts. Oh, gosh. Um, yes. So, yeah. So, we're we're in sort of a... It's not... Well, I was going to say a coming-of-age story, but it isn't at all, because she's already... I don't know what age she's meant to be in that in the movie. 20s, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, so we've got Julia Roberts working as a sex worker, um, and uh, she is working with Richard Gere. They end up obviously having uh, sort of what seems like a much more deeper relationship. He's paying for her to go get nice clothes so that she can join him um, at dinners and things. And then, yeah, of course, like they, they, it's a love movie. They fall in they love. They develop some feelings. Um, and then, you know, rich guy getting with a sex worker, all sorts of complications. But there's a great soundtrack and a bit of comeuppance from those that judged her character uh, unfairly and yeah just sort of uh it is i'm sure there's some like problematic issues in there based on the fact it's you know an older movie around, uh, talking about sex work um but yeah it's one of those that that a lot of people sort of watched uh, maybe more women maybe i don't know watched based on this data point of me and you chris having not seen it and me having watched it multiple times well going back to the caesar awards the french uh, version uh-huh. of oscars pretty woman was directed for, uh, was nominated sorry uh, for best foreign film at the 1991 um caesar awards it did lose out to dead poet society uh, but so did goodfellas it was nominated alongside goodfellas there you go. So if awards mean anything to you, as they do not to Chris, <laughs> uh, you may judge Pretty Woman based on that information. But yeah, like, you know, it's sort of just one of those movies you can just chuck it on in the background and it's, it's you know, entertaining. That's a five star at 9pm. Well, I think that's all we have time for this week, Chris. Yeah, uh, I think we've covered quite a lot. We have indeed. So remember to watch Atlantic's on Netflix uh, and email Chris at stalbanspodcast.com uh, with your views on the film or anything else you want to discuss really tune in next week for the St Albans film guide which will be hosted by Peter Laws our new guest host ably assisted by Danny Smith as well and we'll see you again next month thanks for listening <laughs>